Now, I'm excited uh, for this morning because we're starting a brand new series in the book of Ruth. And uh, Ruth may be one of the most beloved little books in the entire Bible because I think everybody loves a good love story, right? I mean, if you don't love a good love story, something's wrong with you. And um, Ruth is just like this happy little book that's filled with all this amazing, kind of captivating artistry. Uh, but it also has really deep theological roots as well. I think it's one of the greatest love stories that's ever been told. It's a story of hope lost, of redemption found, of restoration, of new life, like all of those really exciting uh, themes that our hearts just kind of long after, we kind of chase after in our life. They're all found right here in the book of Ruth. So I think it's gonna be uh, a really good series for us. Now, if you have a copy of the scriptures, either uh, in print or on your device, go ahead and open it up and go to the book of Ruth. If you do not have a Bible, I want you to know we have a stack in the back by the sound booth. We'd love for you to just take one home as a gift from us uh, to you. And even though Ruth is a beautiful story of love and redemption, the author actually begins the book by painting uh, what I think is a rather dark picture of just utter hopelessness and desperation that struck a seemingly ordinary family. And so that's, that's kind of the backdrop that the author gives us before we launch into the actual story. And so we're gonna start chapter one, verse one. This is what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So the very first thing that we see right out of the gate is that this story takes place when the judges ruled, okay? Now we, we get a snapshot of what this time was like in the nation of Israel, if you just flip back one page in your Bible, right before the book of Ruth comes the book of Judges, and the very last words of the book of Judges say, say this. This will actually be on the, the screens for you. It says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, this is a time of complete, uh, almost just moral bankruptcy, Right? The, the people of God have now turned away from him. They are worshiping false gods. Things are kind of out of control. Everybody is just doing whatever they want to do. It's really a picture of chaos. This is a really bad scene. Now, if that weren't bad enough, we learned that there's, there's also a famine that has struck the land. And so now uh, the economy has tanked. People are losing their jobs Food is hard to come by. Kids are going to bed hungry at night. Uh, if we think back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, we see that this famine is, is very likely God's attempt to turn the hearts of his people back to himself. If you remember back in the, De in the book of Deuteronomy, God told his people that when they entered the promised land, that as long as they walked with him, there would be abundance in the land. But he also warned them that if they ever turned their backs on him, that he would bring famine. And so it appears that the people of Israel at this point in time in their history, when the judges ruled, they were just in full-blown rebellion. There's, just, there's no desire to turn back to God. There's no repentance in the land. And so God, it seems like he's, 
chasing his people because he loves them. Some scholars will call this a severe mercy. And so maybe some of you are there at this point in your life. Man, you just can't figure out why nothing's going right in your life. And it seems like one calamity after another seems to just kind of fall on your life. Maybe this is a good chance to kind of pause and examine and say, God, are you trying to get my attention? Is this a severe mercy where you're bringing something into my life so that it would remind me to look back to you, to turn back to you? Well, this is where the nation of Israel is at this point in time in history. We also see that there's this family from Bethlehem. Now, interestingly enough, and ironically, and this book is filled with irony, the word Bethlehem actually means house of food or house of bread, literally. And so they are in the house of bread, but there is no bread. So it'd be kind of like if you went to your favorite steakhouse, you sit down and you order whatever it is that you order. Man, I'll have the 16-ounce ribeye. I'm sorry, we're, we're out of steaks tonight, sir. Okay, can I have some chicken? Oh, wow, out of that too. How about some soup? We ain't got no soup either. How about a salad? Can I have a salad? We, we ain't got no salad. What, what can I have? Man, well, we got a, got a shot glass full of dirty dishwasher if you want. That'd be 100, 100 bucks. I think I'll just go lay in the street and die in this famine. This is, this is the picture. This is the scene that we get in Bethlehem right now. And so this man, this father, uh, this husband, Elimelech, he takes his wife, Naomi, which, by the way, literally, the word Naomi means pleasant or sweet. And so if you're from the South, like I am, we call people sweetie down here a lot, don't we? I call my wife sweetie sometimes. I call my daughter sweetie sometimes. And so Naomi, that probably was her, her nickname, sweetie, sweetie pie. And, um, and they have two sons, Malon and Kilion, uh, which literally means something to the effect of sickly and dying, okay? It almost sounds a little bit like a hip-hop duo from the 90s, Malon and Kilion. Um, and I know there are quite a number of moms in our congregation who are expecting, and you're probably considering different biblical names. You might want to skip these two, as cool as they may sound. Again, they mean sickly and dying. Just skip over those, go to some others. And so this family is, is going, man. Uh, so Elimelech, uh, Sweetie Pie, his wife, uh, their aspiring hip-hop artist sons, they set out for, for Moab, which is, which is about 50 miles away across the Dead Sea, which doesn't seem like a long way to us. But back in those days, they didn't have cars, and so this was a really long way away. Now, you need to understand, this was a massive decision for this family in the wrong direction, right? Moab was one of Israel's fiercest enemies, and so you need to understand that deciding to move from Bethlehem to Moab is not like the same thing as if you were to decide to move from Asheville to Charlotte, as dumb as that would be. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing even if you were to decide to move from the East Coast to the West Coast, which I wouldn't recommend to you. No, it was not like this. This would be like you moving to an ISIS-controlled area in Syria and linking arms with ISIS and worshiping their God in order to get a little bit of bread. See, without the proper historical context, we kind of read this story and we think, hey, what, what's the big deal? Elimelech is just doing the wise thing, man. He's trying to feed his family. But at its core, this is actually a decision to trust in self instead of trusting in God's provision. This is choosing comfort over faith. And he takes things into his own hands. And he begins to run away from his problems only to find more problems that follow him in the nation of Moab. And isn't this what we so often do in our own lives? 
Don't we? We try, to, we try to take control of our problems, of the circumstances and situations that come into our lives instead of turning to God. And then oftentimes we end up in a bigger mess than we had in the first place. In this way, at least in a little bit, I can relate to Elimelech here. You know, maybe some of you are like him today. Man, you are, you are running from God. You are trying to fix your problems in your own power but I'm just here to tell you that your answer will not be found in running from God or trying to fix your problems by yourself. The answer that you seek will only be found as you turn back to God, the only true source of healing and restoration. Now, here's what you need to know about the nation of Moab. Moab was a nation that began with the incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And no, they were not from Alabama. They were from Mississippi. All right, now, I'm, I'm from Alabama, and so I can say that. You can't say that joke, I can, all right? They're from Mississippi. And so they had a son from this incestuous relationship Lot had with one of his daughters. Son was named Moab, and his descendants became the Moabites. Now, the Moabites were a just insanely wicked, bloodthirsty people. They were violent. They practiced infant sacrifice to a demonic god called Chemosh, they practice temple prostitution, idol worship. Man, this is a dark, wicked people group. And God had warned his people in Israel not to link arms with and certainly not to intermarry with idol worshiping peoples. Now, Elimelech, growing up in Jerusalem and Israel, living in Bethlehem, he would have known all this. He would have known the commands of God in Deuteronomy not to associate with these people. And yet he thinks to himself in this moment, yeah, listen, I, I kind of know what God has to say about this, but I think I got a better plan than God. God, why don't you have a back seat and let me show you how to properly handle this situation? And don't we do the same thing in our lives many times, don't we? Yeah, God, I, I know what you say in your word about sexual purity, but this is 2020 for Pete's sake. And it's really hard to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend if you're living by these ancient, antiquated moral standards. Man, I, I got needs. It's 2020. God, I know what you have to say about generosity, but man, I want that, I want that new car really bad, and I want that fancy vacation really bad, and you fill in the blank with whatever the temptation is for you. We just kind of do the same thing, and so let's not be too hard on our boy Elimelech here because we very often times are just as guilty as he was. And so off to Moab they go and the scriptures tell us that they're actually there 10 years. 10 years away from the presence of God and all of the people of God chasing some bread. And so their two boys, Malon and Kilion, they grow up and not surprisingly, guess who they marry? Do they go back to Israel and marry godly women? No, they marry Moabite women, the very thing that God had warned them against. And so they're, they're living in moral decay. The land has a famine. They are broke. They are hungry. And then things get really, really bad. Let's pick up in verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, who was a chatty talk show host. Oh, no, that, that's Orpah, not Oprah. I... I challenge you to read this book without picturing Oprah every time you read Orpah. I tried this week, I was unsuccessful. Maybe you'll be more, more disciplined than I am. But, so one of them was named Orpah and the other was named Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and then both Malon and Kilion died. 
so that the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. So Elimelech dies, man. The scriptures don't tell us how he died. Maybe he died in his sleep. Maybe he got hit by a herd of camels. We don't know. But now he's dead. And Naomi, sweetie, um, buries her husband. And then as soon as she's done burying her husband, both of her sons die. I mean, this is, this is truly a tragic scene. The consequences of their decision to leave God, to chase ease and comfort, the consequences of that decision seem almost unbearable now, which leads to our first big idea this morning. Truth number one, it'll be on the screens for you. The path away from God may glitter like gold, but it always ends in death. Things always look good in Moab, don't they? Things of this world always look really good until we get there and we realize it's actually not nearly as good as we thought it was gonna be. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, which is exactly what they find in Moab. Now, I want, I want you to try to picture this scene in your mind's eye. This is, this is a scene of absolutely breathtaking, overwhelming grief. I mean, could you imagine losing your spouse and all of your kids in a matter of perhaps days or weeks? We can picture Naomi perhaps standing over her third gravestone after her third funeral, after the third memorial service. And the pain is numbing. Maybe there's no more tears to cry for Naomi. She is now all alone in this world. She's a widow with no children, which in this day, in her day, meant she was destined for a life of absolute poverty and alienation. Don't miss this. In five verses, her whole life collapsed around her. She lost everything. Now, this is a, this is a terrible picture, but don't, don't miss the lesson here, friend. Everything in your life can crumble in five verses. You could get sideswiped on the road on your way home this afternoon. You could get a terminal diagnosis from your doctor next week. Your heart could stop beating this very night. How many of us were absolutely stunned and spent the last week mourning at the news of Kobe Bryant, right? In the prime of his life, 41 years old, a beautiful wife, beautiful children, billionaire or close to it, seemingly Kobe had the world by its tail, and he woke up last Sunday morning, just like any other Sunday morning, and by 9.45 in the morning, in an instant, this life was over for Kobe Bryant. And as tragic as that is, and we mourn with the families of those who lost their lives in that helicopter crash, the Bible says we mourn with those who mourn, we weep with those who weep, and that's appropriate, we should do that. But friend, how quickly your life can collapse around you. Don't be misguided. The scriptures say that this life is but a mist. This life is but a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it disappears into the air and you never see it again. This is a sobering picture that the author paints for us. Some would argue this is even a depressing picture. And this is where we're gonna pick up next week. Let's pray. I'm just kidding, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. I'm not even that mean. I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to you, right? <laughs> the, the question that we're left with now, really and truly, is in a world like the one that we live in, and we all live in this world, and we're all eventually in some way touched by pain and suffering and loss. 
And so in this fallen universe that we live in, the question is, where can we find hope? Where can we find hope? And maybe you're here this morning and you feel hopeless. You may be here this morning and you might be a Naomi and you're feeling alone and abandoned and empty and forgotten and riddled with pain. And where do you turn for hope in this broken world? Well, the rest of this book is gonna answer that question. Let's pick up in verse six. Then she arose, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. So they're, they're going back to the promised land, going back to the nation of Israel. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So somehow, we don't know how, she's out in the field. She gets word that the Lord has, has forgiven the people of Israel. Apparently, they have, they have repented. He's given them food back home in Bethlehem. And so we don't know, man, she, maybe she's out in the field and she's scrolling through her Instagram feed and boom, she sees somebody post, hey, there's food now back in Bethlehem. And she's like, man, let's, let's go back. So the house of bread now has bread again. Now I think this is a reminder to us of God's faithfulness, that God is faithful to his promises, that he does care for his people. He does provide in his timing, not always in our timing. Verse seven, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. That's the southern kingdom of Israel. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. This is quite the scene here. Verse 10, and they said to her, no, 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 we, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And so Naomi looks at her two daughter-in-laws on the road from Moab back to Bethlehem, and she says, no, no, you guys gotta go back. Y'all gotta go back home. I'm an I'm a old lady now. I mean, even if, even if I were to find a husband and I were to get married tonight and I were to conceive and get pregnant tomorrow, are you guys really gonna wait 20 years so that little boy grows up so you can have another husband? No, 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 no. I love you guys way too much to let you come and suffer with me. Go back. You guys are young. You're going you're gonna to find a husband back in Moab. You guys can have kids. You have a chance to have a real life there. And notice what she says. She says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, some, even biblical scholars, have been critical a little bit. I think of Naomi here, but I, I think that would be a mistake. See, because I, I, don't, I don't think Naomi is turning away from God here. I think she's just dealing with God honestly. And she feels like the weight of God's judgment is heavy upon her life. We'll see later in this very chapter, she tells people not to call her sweet, but to call her bitter. So they call her Naomi, and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. This is a woman who's in pain. This is a woman who has suffered much loss and she's in deep mourning and suffering, but she is not turning her back on God. She's just being honest and raw and that's okay. And some of you are in that place. 
I think this morning where Naomi was all those years ago where you're hurting and you've experienced loss and you've experienced betrayal in your life and you're wrestling with God and there are, if you're honest with yourself, there are seeds of bitterness in your heart even as Naomi had and that's okay because God has really big and really broad shoulders and he can handle the weight of your pain and even the weight of your bitterness. Just make sure, friend, that you're doing what Naomi is doing here. She isn't running away from God. She is heading towards God. She's going back to Bethlehem. She's going back to the promised land. She's going back to the place where God's people lived. She's going back to the place where God's presence dwelled in the temple. Friend, just make sure that your pain drives you to God and not away from God. Naomi really is showing us what a life of faith looks like. We don't run from God when things get tough. We are with God in the good times. We are with God in the difficult times in life. We are with him in seasons of ease as well as seasons of pain and suffering and loss. Beautiful faith is relentless faith. And God loves to see the faith of his sons and daughters. He is moved by that kind of faith. This is the kind of faith that can move mountains and it also can move the hand of our loving father. Look at verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but listen, Ruth, Ruth clung to her. And look, this, this is just an unfiltered, raw, emotional scene here. These, these ladies love each other deeply. They've been through an awful lot together the last 10 years. They've all buried their husbands together. They've laughed together. They've cried together. They've dreamed together. And then we see a picture of two completely different decisions here. Orpah goes back to Moab, and so she's, she's gone now. Now, the scriptures don't criticize her for that decision, but she certainly, she takes the broad way. She takes the easy path, which is understandable. Nobody's criticizing her, but what is, what is Ruth gonna do? What's she gonna do? Is she gonna go back as well? Let's look at verse 15. And she said, that's Naomi, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Now this is astounding, isn't it? <laughs> Ruth says, I'm not leaving you, Naomi. Where you go, I'm gonna go. Where you live, I'm gonna live. Where you die, I'm gonna die. Ruth essentially goes, we ride together, we die together. Bad boys for life, right? If you're a Will Smith movie fan from the 90s, you know what I'm talking about. Notice she also says, and this is really the important part, your God will what? Your God will be my God. I don't miss it. This is, this is Ruth's conversion story. She has now switched her allegiance from the gods of Moab to the God of the Bible. Ruth goes, Naomi, Naomi, you're my people, and he is now my God as well. And so un unlike Orpah, who took the broad road, Ruth takes the narrow road. She takes the harder road. This reminds us of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven. We'll put this on the screens for you. This is what Jesus said. Enter through the narrow gates. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. 
But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And so Ruth takes the narrow road. She takes the road less traveled and she will find life. She will end up meeting a man and marrying a man named Boaz, a redeemer who looks an awful lot like Jesus in this story. But the road to redemption in life is found through the narrow gate on the small road. And so the second big truth that I want you to walk away with this morning is this. Number two, the gateway to life is found on the narrow path of repentance. The gateway to life is always found on the narrow path of repentance. See, friend, every single person in this room, under the sound of my voice right now this morning, is on one of two roads. There are not many roads. There are only two. And just like Orpah and Ruth, each one of us will choose our pathway in this life. Now, most will choose the wide and easy road, but a few, the scriptures tell us, will choose the narrow road. And it's narrow because it requires more of us. It looks harder, it seems riskier, and it is. And yet, it is the only road that actually leads to life. Now, I don't wanna spoil the whole uh, story for you, but Ruth does end up being redeemed by God, as we've said, through a man named Boaz. And Ruth, this, this Moabite, this former idol worshiper, ends up in the lineage of Jesus. She ends up being the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. She, she becomes one of the matriarchs of our faith. Now, how did a Moabite of all people end up in the line of the one who would come to redeem us all? She entered by the narrow gate. And you too, friend, must enter by the narrow gate. You must trust in the Redeemer, just as Ruth did. Now, this is a beautiful story of her conversion. Many of us, if not most of us, in the room this morning, we could get up here and man, we could tell stories until the wee hours of tomorrow morning of how God has redeemed us. Our conversion stories of how God chased us down and saved us and moved us from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light. But notice that Ruth, she had, she had to turn her back. She, she had to leave everything that she had ever known behind. Her family, her friends, her culture, her religion, her gods, her best prospects for a husband, for future children, for wealth. And Ruth looks at all of that sprawled in front of her and she goes, no, 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 no. I want, I want God more than I want all of that stuff. And she walked away from it all. And then she, in the end, received more than she could have ever imagined. And so I just wanna ask you this morning, friend, what do you need to walk away from today in order to follow God? What do you need to turn your back on in your life in order to walk the narrow path that leads to life? What do you need to leave behind? Because I suspect for all of us, there's an answer to that question. For some of you, perhaps it's a, it's a pattern of, of sin, maybe even a secret sin that nobody even knows about. For others of you, maybe it's turning your back on the type of pride that allows you to think that you don't need God, that you don't even need a redeemer, you don't need a savior because you think you're a good person. Friend, let me just warn you in love, that is self-righteousness that will lead you headlong into a life of destruction. We should follow Ruth's example here and turn back to God.
Verse 19, so the two of them, that is Naomi and Ruth, because Orpah has now gone back to Moab, they went on their way until they came to Bethlehem. And when they uh, came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Now remember, they have not seen Naomi in a decade. It's been 10 years. So just imagine if it had been 10 years, you see one of your best friends, man, how excited you would be. That's kind of the, the scene here. It says the whole town was stirred because Naomi had returned. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Don't call me sweetie. Call me Mara. Call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Now let me ask you something. Is that even true? Has, is God bringing her back empty? Who's standing right beside her? Ruth is standing right beside her, right? But oftentimes, the same thing can happen to us when we're in a season of loss or pain, when we are bitter, we can miss out on what God is actually doing in our lives. We can miss his redemptive work that's taking place right in front of our eyes. And so Naomi continues. She says, why call me Naomi? Why call me sweetie? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned to the country uh, uh, returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, get this, at the beginning of barley harvest. So Naomi returns to Bethlehem. She is immediately greeted by familiar faces. We can kind of maybe picture this perhaps as her returning and, and meeting her church family again or, or perhaps her community group. And watch what she does. She just openly honestly in an unfiltered way expresses her sorrow and her loss and her struggles and her grief to them. Now, this is a lesson for us even here. Listen, friend, when you are hurting, you should do what Naomi does here. Now, notice, she doesn't isolate herself in her pain, does she? She doesn't. She's in community. She has people around her. She has a family to help her carry her burden of grief and sorrow. And we say this all the time here at New Life. Church is not a building. We use this building. We're grateful for this building. But this is not the church called New Life Community Church. The church, we are a family, man. This, this building, God forbid, could burn down to ashes tonight. And we could meet in a park next week. The church goes on. We are a family. And that's one of the most beautiful things about becoming a Christian, I think is that not only do we get a perfectly restored relationship with our creator through Jesus, our redeemer, but we actually get a family to do life with. And don't, don't miss this as we come to the conclusion of chapter one this morning. We are, we are beginning to see God's hand of grace actually covering Naomi before she can even see it. Right, he's, he's given her a daughter, Ruth, who loves her relentlessly, she doesn't know it yet. So not only does he give her a daughter, he's now brought her home in a, in a, in a sense to her faith family. The people of God are. The presence of God dwells there in Israel. And that's not all. When do they arrive back home in Bethlehem? At the beginning of barley harvest. Meaning that there's gonna be plenty of food, man. After, after years of struggle and hunger, man, they're, they're about to feast you think that's a coincidence? All of those things are, I don't think any of those things are a coincidence. I think what's happening right here is God is whispering to Naomi, daughter, I love you. I love you and I, I've got you. I, I know you feel lost 
And I know you feel alone, and I know you're in pain, and I know you feel abandoned, but I want you to know, Naomi, I am right here by your side. Friend, there may be times when you also feel like God is far from you, that he has forgotten you, that he has abandoned you, but I want you to know this morning that he is always near. He is always near. And here's, here's the really cool thing. It is often, it's often when things seem the most hopeless in our lives, when it seems like we're suffering the most, when we have the most loss in our life and the most pain and the most betrayal, it's often in those moments that God is actually nearest to us. And it's oftentimes in those seasons of grief and hopelessness and loss and chaos and pain that God is actually working out our redemption story before we can even see it. And so here's the last big truth that I want you to see this morning and then we're done. Number three, hope is always and only found in the presence of the Redeemer. Why? Because he's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. He's the God who restores and gives life. He's the one that can redeem the ashes of our loss and our suffering and our pain and then paint something beautiful with our lives. I love this quote from a Puritan theologian, Richard Sibbs. This will be on the screens for you. This is what Sibbs says. He says, God is never near his church. That's, that's us. You could almost insert your name there. God is never nearer to you than when trouble is near. When in earth they conclude an utter overthrow, God is in heaven concluding a glorious deliverance. Church, hear me. You don't have to walk this path, this life of, of pain and loss and suffering and rejection alone. We have a redeemer who is intimately familiar with pain and suffering and loss and rejection. And Jesus not only offers us himself, but he also offers us his bride, the people of God. We are not alone and you are not alone. And so I wanna close this morning by simply saying to you, friend, I don't know what path you're walking in life right now. I don't know what pain you might be under, what suffering, what loss, what betrayal, but here's what I do know. God has not forgotten you. God has absolutely not forgotten you. But the narrow path that leads to the Redeemer is the only pathway home. And so if you're here this morning and you're a non-Christian, man, I am, I'm just so happy that you're here. And I just wanna encourage you to turn to the Redeemer today. He, he welcomes you the same way that he welcomed Ruth all those years ago. Now, you're, if you're here and you're, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you would say, man, I, I love Jesus. I've given my life to him, but maybe you find yourself in Moab today. Just over time, you've drifted far away from him. I just wanna encourage you as well. Come home today. He awaits your return. Let's pray, and then we're gonna come to the tables, and we're gonna celebrate what our Redeemer has done for us. Father, thank you for your story. Thank you for this story in the book of Ruth. Thank you for your word that guides us. Thank you for being a God who calls us back home and a God who actually welcomes us when we return because of your great love and your great mercy towards your sons and your daughters. Father, thank you for being a God, not just a good God, not just in times of, of ease and comfort, God, but the fact that you're a good God right in the middle of the storms of life, that you're a good God right in the middle of our pain and our suffering and our loss and the betrayals of life, God, that you are near to us always. God, Father, 
We thank you most of all for providing our Redeemer, Jesus. And so I pray that all of us would turn to him, that we would find our hope in him, God. And if there is someone here this morning, God, that needs to turn to Jesus, the ultimate Redeemer, for the very first time, God, would you help them? Would you give them the courage to turn their lives over to you, just like Ruth did on that road back to Bethlehem so many years ago? And Father, for those here who maybe know you and love you, but they've just drifted, Maybe it's been a tough season of life or whatever, God. I don't know the circumstances, but I know a lot of people that love you tend to drift. And Father, so for any of your children who are just stuck in the muck of Moab, like Naomi this morning, God, would you help them return home today as well? God, we ask for all of these things in the name of our Redeemer, our, Redeemer, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.